Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'm Steve Sarley, my partner is Dave Kranz, and We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Yes, they certainly do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to always check us out at WeFishASA.com. We Fish ASA is produced by our executive producer, Mr. Brad Nearman from Berserk Productions down in Land Lakes, Florida. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Uh, Dave's going to visit with Mike Leonard from the American Sport Fishing Association. Some big news coming out of those fine folks. And I'm going to talk to a guy who just won a uh, his first Major League Fishing major event, $100,000 check going to a really nice guy and a good fisherman, Mr. Jesse Wiggins. But first, let me turn it over to my partner, Dave Kranz. Just going to bring on our friend, Dan Johnston. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me, as always. Oh, awesome. Good to have you here. You know, about this time last year, we talked about seasonal patterns and how things change. But we brought up the fact that from the south, you know, the spawn can start in December or January. And uh, that same spawn doesn't start up in Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, Canada until sometimes June because there's ice there right now and it it hasn't left yet. And it's pretty crazy. So if you had the... uh, the time and the dollars, you could start fishing the spawn in December and you can be still fishing it in the middle of the summer, can't you? 100%. And not only that, but you've got fish that spawn multiple times and there's certain fish that stay on beds forever, like smallmouth. So, you know, that, that aside, it's funny, Dave, when I was younger, I used to do a lot of waterfowl hunting and uh, we used to do the same thing. We uh-huh. would follow that migration from northern Nebraska all the way down into Oklahoma. And, you know, you can follow the birds and, you know, now I'm sure they have apps and things you can use to follow that. But, uh, you know, to your point, and it's so true, you know, Lake of the Ozarks is where I keep my boat in the winter. And they're usually about two weeks ahead of us. I mean, I I remember being down there and uh, the trees were blooming and I get back up here and we still have, uh, you know, brown grass and all that. So then you go two hours south of there. It's a whole other ball game. You go two hours north of me, and it is a completely different ball game on the cold side. So, yeah, your point is very valid, and it's good because we've done a lot of episodes, not only on pre-spawn, but spawn and post-spawn. So you can literally have all three of those phases going on in the lower 48. Well, you you do have all three of those phases going on in the lower 48 um, every single year. And that's that's what's fun about it. And then you mix in all the different species and So if you did want to get creative, you could literally say, you know what, I want to go catch this at this stage. You might have to drive a ways or jump on a plane, but you can get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, the the tournament circuits, for whatever they are, muskie, bass, walleye, they all follow that also, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, obviously, when they're scheduling these big tournaments, they want to set it up so that guys are getting bit, you know, and that's a good thing. Not, Not, you know 
not that always doesn't pan out because mother nature sure seems to have that joker in the deck once in a while but you know generally speaking they certainly try to try to follow that but and i would say if you were to if you were to pull all the guys out there uh that are fishing at a high level you know some may say man pre-spawn absolutely 100 percent. that's what i want to do other people might want to say i want to bed fish i want to find five big ones in practice and catch those five and then other guys might say you know what I like post-spawn and some of these big Ozark lakes, they start pulling water and they stack up on these points and you can catch 30. So it's not necessarily uh, the kind of deal where it's cut, copy, paste to everybody's desire, but the point is you can certainly do it with, with, with the regionality factor. For example, I'm headed up to Wisconsin pretty soon here for our sales meeting and we had ice up there not too long ago. And uh, it's been a really, really late spring. And then down at the lake, they were going right on the bank at the same time. So it's really amazing. Obviously, it's dictated by water temperature, uh, time of year, all those things. But, you know, the water temperature is what really, really drives that. And it's that master plan. Those fish just do what they do when those conditions are right. Absolutely. I, I think 300 miles seems to be the, you know, every 300 miles north or south, this seems to be different. But, you know, we've had such weather extremes this year, and it has made it tough for uh, in many cases. But uh, I think we talked about this, too, before about the uh, uh, the extreme weather up here doesn't affect the fishing as much as the extreme weather down south. Our fish recover quicker. You know, I don't know if that's fact-based, but I can absolutely tell you it's happened to me, and it's happened to a lot of people probably listening to this episode. And it was specifically Florida fish do not like cold fronts at all. And you get a cold front up here, and I mean, it's almost like us. We're just kind of used to driving on bad roads and used to, bad, you know, cold weather, and they seem to get over it a lot quicker. And not only can you catch them, sometimes right through a front but that shutdown period that high blue tough deal where everything's tough for everybody doesn't seem to last as long up north as it does down south well it can flat out shut them down in florida yeah absolutely and and we're just not talking bass here this this applies to, to crappies and to panfish and it applies to walleyes it applies to pike and and muskies everything is affected by by a, the seasonal uh north to uh, south and south to north patterns and and uh there's another thing not everybody just wants to fish for one species so at any time somebody that is in our listening audience can go somewhere like you said they might have to get on a plane or drive or pull the boat or whatever but uh you can go somewhere and have good fishing well let's hone in on that a little bit because i don't know if there's a better point can be discussed here. So let's look at it this way. If we're looking at multi-species and regionality and seasonality, the first two things that I think of personally is what is the bait doing? When is the shad spawn, for example, in shad lakes? And we know when that is. When do the panfish bed up? When do the crayfish start to get active? You know, in the latter point there, that water in the low to mid 50s, uh, the middle point on the panfish, you're talking about just right before the bass bluegill is really right with them, probably slightly before them. And then on the uh, on the shad side, on the shad spawn side, it, it, it coincides right there at that time, too. So if you look at that factor in itself, regardless what you're fishing for, there's not a fish that swims that doesn't eat a shad in a shad lake. So we don't have to get species specific if we understand what the bait does. And there's regionality and seasonality of that too. 
Absolutely. Uh, we in the system that we're at here on the Fox Chain of Lakes, we didn't have the shad. They came up from the Mississippi into the Illinois, into the Fox River, and um, uh, some of those don't like this the cold, cold weather, but they seem to survive here by hanging out by the warm water discharges from the uh, sewer treatment plants. That was the water was coming out at fifty five all year round, and they made it. And it seems like they've adapted. Every year there's there's freeze out in some of the channels and they die, but they're also the biggest ones. And I think they just cycle out when they get that big. And but I think it's made the whole fishery better for everything the muskies the the bass the crappies the perch everything is bigger now and and well fed and the, the food source is so important isn't it it is it, you know here's it here's it every time you're bringing something up it something gets thrown to me that i you know another thing i would respond on that part is that you know there's people out there that would say man you know ice out when the shatter dying that's a bad thing because the bait's dying well Ask a cat fisherman that. It's arguably the best time of year to go catch 200 in a day when they're just gorging on those things. And I'm not kidding you. Our reservoir here where I live, there's boats that you get sick of catching them yep. because those fish are swimming around with their mouths open. So that's an opportunity where most people would see it as a loss. Yeah. yeah, and same thing with the pike. As the ice goes out, they're, they're early spawners. They're active. Why do people catch a, a pike on a bottom on a dead smelt because that's happening with those shad dying same same exact thing and uh, i guess you just got to think wherever you're at in this country um seasonal patterns to do what's best at that time and you can figure that out and most of the time it's going to happen within a week or two of what it did the year before and the year before that isn't it it usually does you know fortunately i mean this has been a late year no question yep. you know i can remember times where we were fishing the pattern I was fishing last weekend um, a month ago up here, and that's just not the case this year. So it does happen, but I, I think I think another thing to really try to wrap your head around, and we've done episodes on this before too, is truly understand what these cold-blooded creatures do at different water temperatures, because you can have shad in lakes in the south, shad in lakes in the north, and the fact the water temperature, because of seasonality, is so different. The fish are eating the same thing, but it's as an angler, we have to present it almost diametrically opposite. For example, to your point, some of those big pike or the catfish, when they're fishing shad right now or shad imitations, you're literally doing very little with it. It's not a real fast cadence where you're trying to get them to bite it and all that. I remember fly fishing one time way up north for big northerns in cold water, fly fishing, and I literally had to let my fly float or sink to the bottom and sit there for me to catch them. And I remember if I stripped that thing back at all, they wouldn't bite it. And I finally figured out they were feeding on great big bait fish that were dying. And that was the thing. And it's, it's the same thing in ice out shad deal. It's why we count to sometimes 20 more fish in a jerk bait when it's real cold. And then when it warms up this time of year right now, I usually switch to more like a rogue, something that gets a lot faster, quicker, erratic action. And I'm ripping that thing so fast you wouldn't believe it. Same bait fish, completely different presentation. Yep, absolutely. Well, I guess, I guess the whole point of, uh, of what we're talking about today is uh, as far as seasonal movements uh, just get out and fish and and somewhere the fish will be biting and hopefully they listen to uh, some of the information we give and it helps people to catch fish 
well, it helps us with the feedback that we get back from the listeners and people. You know, it all, we're all getting better every day, and that's the fun of it. You always try to strive to improve, and any, in anything you do, the better you understand something, the better chance you give yourself to be successful doing it. Absolutely. Always good information, Dan. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Dave. Have a great week. You too. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. My next guest has been on several times. He is Mike Leonard. He's the Vice President of Governmental Affairs with the American Sport Fishing Association. Welcome back, Mike. Well, thanks, Dave, for having me back. I'm looking out over a brown, quickly flowing Potomac River, but it's bright and sunny outside, so hopefully the river subsides here shortly and uh, enjoy this nice weather we got coming up and spend a little time out on the water. There you go. Well, the Potomac, they had a tournament out there this last weekend, uh, Major League Fishing BFL, and they did pretty good. They brought in quite a few fish, and and, uh, I'll be there in about five weeks out of Smallwood State Park in Maryland and uh, be doing... uh, doing a uh, major league fishing tournament there. I love that area, and uh, it's good. And then you get to look out at the river, and uh, this time of year, it's kind of muddy anyway, isn't it? Yeah, no, we get this a lot. I mean, it's part of the challenge. Um, You know, we spend a lot of time up on Capitol Hill in offices talking about fisheries issues. And it sure would be great to do that out on the water. And we've tried in the past to plan events, you know, around the striper run, the shad run. And it's really just such a roll of the dice with the, with the river conditions. But, yeah, you get a little further down river and get up in some of the tributaries. And, um, yeah, it's an incredibly productive bass fishery and um, yeah, ter- a lot of tournaments held. And, um, yeah, it can be really productive. You wouldn't think that close to a major, major urban center like that. You'd have such a great fishery. But, um, but yeah, you, you can certainly find fish um, if, if the river's cooperating. Absolutely. Well, uh, about quarterly, we call and we get an update from you about what's going on on Capitol Hill. And you got your pulse on that, uh, the finger on the pulse of that. So why don't you give us a little update? What's going on in our outdoor world? Sure. Yeah, it's um, it's been surprisingly productive. And I feel like I'm a broken record on that with 
fisheries and, and natural resource and conservation issues on Capitol Hill, really over the last month, we've seen many bills that um, American Sport Fishing Association and the, the groups we work with in Washington, D.C. That, that focus on fisheries issues um, have, have started to gain a lot of momentum. And I'll start with one that's um, really a lot bigger than just fisheries. It's called the Outdoor Recreation Act. And it, it is what it sounds like. It's a bill that has uh, dozens of different provisions in it that will all benefit uh, outdoor recreation, including fishing. It's one of those you know, rising tide lifts all boats kind of things. And it, there are provisions ranging from you know, how um, land management agencies, whether it's the National Park Service or the, the National Forest Service or the National Wildlife Refuge System, uh, how they prioritize different uses and ensuring that outdoor recreation as they're going through their management plans is a high priority of how these agencies are, are, are um, kind of from a comprehensive standpoint viewing their, their management priorities. So things like that, things dealing with uh, streamlining how uh, guides, the permits that they have to use to operate off of public lands, um, that that's a more efficient and beneficial process so that we, uh, you know, we aren't caught up in red tape and unable to get folks out uh, enjoying these natural resources because, you know, guides aren't allowed to or have to go through a bunch of uh, chaotic permit um, red tape to, to, to be able to operate in these areas um, to, you know, ensuring that we've got good streamlined uh, aquatic invasive species um, uh, um, detection and decontamination stations, especially when we're talking about some of these Western uh, states that have federal land management agencies that don't have the authority to inspect boats for, uh, for aquatic invasive species, which mm -hmm. as you, I'm sure many others know is uh, increasing issue and that's sort of a double-sided thing where we, we want to make sure we're catching the, the aquatic invasive species and boats that may be contaminated but we're also not setting up a system that's so burdensome that you know boats are being unnecessarily held up and unable to access these facilities so we want to make sure these are efficient and the boats can move through efficiently but we're also you know making sure we're rigorously checking um to you know uh, this is sort of a pet peeve of mine anytime we work with these federal land management agencies and we want data on you know, how many people are fishing in these and if you want to compare certain sites within the national park system to certain sites within the forest system or bureau of land management you know, how, how important are these areas and how much are they being used for different activities including fishing but you can't really get that information right now at least not in a way that's consistent amongst these agencies so ensuring that uh, the visitation data these agencies are collecting is uh, ultimately reported out in a way that's consistent and understandable and sort of apples to apples across agencies, which I think will have a big benefit for all of those, all of us that are working to support these agencies and making sure they're getting the resources they need. You ultimately got to have data to support all that. So uh, I could go on and on. There's a bunch of stuff in there. And uh, this is a bill that's currently working its way through the U.S. Senate. There was a uh, vote in the Senate uh, Energy and Natural Resources Committee just last week to unanimously report it out which you think of all the partisanship you're hearing about in the news on all sorts of things. No one can get along. They're all bickering over everything. Well, guess what? This thing got uh, all of the Democrats and all the Republicans and even one independent on this committee all voted yes on it to, to, to pass that committee. And it's a reflection of the support that this community has. Um, and also, you know, I think the fact that we have a bill focused entirely on outdoor rec recreation moving as a standalone also shows that you know we're becoming a much more prominent community as a whole. That um, yeah, with everything going on, senators are devoting time to a bill focused on outdoor recreation as a standalone. We're not necessarily a smaller component to some 
broader package of legislation. It's, um, you know, it's something that stands on its own merit, which um, I think in large parts, you know, not just the appreciation they have, uh, the, the appreciation members of Congress see for the outdoors themselves, but also the economic driver that, um, especially during COVID, we've all recognized. I know you can attest to this personally, how important the outdoors have become increasingly so um, as an economic driver, the many businesses that they support. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal of its own merit, but I think it's symbolic of a lot of progress we're seeing as a community being one of those few areas that, you know, bipartisanship remains and also um, something that uh, can bring folks together. And one final point on this Outdoor Recreation Act, also why I think it's drawn so much support is this isn't one of those, you know, let's just throw a bunch of money at it um, type of bills where we're just going to authorize a bunch of new spending. This is all, um, this is all, it doesn't authorize new spending. This is all just improving policies and management um, in a variety of ways for different outdoor recreation priorities. So um, this one doesn't have a big price tag associated with it that's going to uh, cause some to, um, to, to you know, kind of roll their eyes at it. It's just good management, good policy, good for the outdoors, and, and ultimately good for the economy. So that one's been really cool to see. And, um, you know, uh, if folks want to learn more, go to our website, Keep America Fishing. You can take action. And uh, we'll certainly be able to keep folks up to date as that one progresses, because we're, we're really hoping by the end of this year to see this get enacted and uh, quickly start translating into improved management and ultimately access to our, to our federal lands. Yeah, it's great to be involved in the uh, an industry that isn't very partisan because, you know, clean, accessible waters and, and everything that goes along with it, the wildlife that lives on these these areas. And uh, it makes sense. I mean, we all use it. We all can use it. And not having that price tag, that's great. And, um, uh, you know, we've we've supported ourselves along the whole way and have, have got many of these lands bought because of the sportsmen, uh, you know, are, are paying the bill for a lot of that with the excise tax. So uh, there shouldn't be any disagreement on these kind of things. And it's nice to see that there isn't. And it's nice to see the standalone, I think, is so important uh, that we are being recognized. And, you know, your your team and yourself, you guys have made, you've brought that forward to these people that make our laws and make our decisions. So that's great. And, uh you know, thank you for doing that, and we definitely appreciate it. Uh, anything else that's you know has happened or going to happen, or something uh, that the listeners should be looking out for in the future? Yeah, well, first I, I appreciate you saying that, and you know, we we've certainly done everything on at our part at ASA to make sure that the recreational fishing industry has a strong voice in DC. There's certainly a, a strength in numbers. We have a lot of great partner groups like the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, which represents all the different trade groups in outdoor recreation from snowmobiles to RVs to, to mountain bikes and fishing. Um, you know, we've got a lot of great partners that we work on this stuff uh, together with, but I, I will note last month we had uh, ASA, we had our government affairs committee meet here in DC and we, it was good timing because we went up to the Capitol about two days after uh, things started to open back out, up security wise to where you could actually get back into the Capitol mm-hmm. and, go back into house and Senate offices. The timing was everything there. But um, we had a total of five members of Congress, some Democrats, some Republicans, House, Senate, come in and speak to us. And it was really neat to see, you know, even five plus years ago when we would do this, the contrast between then and now to where 
you know, I think back then they'd come in, they'd talk about how great fishing is and how, you know, they enjoyed it growing up and they still like to take their kids and grandkids out fishing, but they didn't really know the issues. It wasn't stuff they were working on. Um, or maybe like they kind of had a vague understanding that, yeah, there's some bill out there, but now they all came in and each one of them like knew us, knew our issues. And we spent 30 minutes with each one of them talking like detailed policy on uh, whether it's recovering America's Wildlife Act, the Outdoor Recreation Act, regional issues like red snapper, Asian carp, Pacific salmon. I mean, it was really neat to see how far we've come in uh, making sure members of Congress aren't just okay with fishing, but they're like actually deeply involved and invested and, um, and uh, you know, ultimately spending their political capital to, to move these bills forward. Because if it wasn't us up there talking about this they'd be talking to someone else and spending their time on these other issues there's so many competing priorities so anyway that was really neat to see but uh but yeah one other I, i'd flag um because this is another big build not just for us but uh for anyone who cares about fish and wildlife is the recovering america's wildlife act mm-hmm. this is um a really important bill that complements what you were saying earlier all the funding between excise taxes and license dollars that anglers and hunters put back into conservation um, you know, state fish and wildlife agencies continue to have increasing demands put on them to uh, manage all the whole host of fish and wildlife. And in some ways that hurts us because as anglers and, and uh, there's hunters out there too, because our license and excise tax dollars ultimately are getting spread too thin. And, you know, we're paying for the management of these game species and the habitats that they live in um, so that we can have those opportunities to continue to pursue them. But these agencies are tasked with managing every critter that's out there and yep. every watershed. So this bill would put uh, $1.4 billion in paid-for funding um, to the state fish and wildlife agencies, tribal governments, territories, to proactively manage uh, all these non-game species to ensure that you know, our monies as sportsmen are going to the dollars that they need to go to and that we have additional monies to prevent these other species, especially we want to prevent them from becoming threatened and endangered because that triggers a whole new host of regulation and spending and management plans that that no one wants to go down that road. So it's really kind of an investment to prevent species declines that triggers a a whole other set of challenges that none of us want to, the managers or stakeholders want to have to deal with. Um, But, you know, all that other work, you know, we're, we're, cleaner waters, healthier habitats, more productive uh, fisheries. That's ultimately going to benefit us as anglers, too. And um, this is a bill that has a tremendous amount of bipartisan support, continuing with that theme. It's had um, successful votes on it in committees in both the House and Senate, and now just need each chamber to take it up and and ultimately get this enacted. And it's, um, you know, it would be a huge victory for uh for fish and wildlife conservation for state fish and wildlife agencies and uh and, uh, and us as anglers so another one that we're, we're watching closely and again folks can go to keepamericafishing.org and learn more about it and make sure that you've uh, registered your support with your members of congress make sure that they're hearing from you on the importance of this to you as an angler absolutely they got to do it and i'm up against the clock here mike but i always appreciate the update we get from you and uh, keep keep up the good work and uh, thanks for being on the we fish asa podcast we will talk again absolutely thanks so much dave oh you are welcome that was mike leonard i am dave Kranz. steve sarley is remote and this segment was brought to you by calcutta an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors the we fish asa podcast will be right back The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. 
As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote, won't be joining us today. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. And I am proud to have our next guest on. He is making a first appearance with us. A, a, a really good fisherman, a good guy. I uh, just want a big, big event. Uh, down at Lake of the Ozarks for the uh, Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour uh, event four of the year, I believe. And, and he did a great job. Uh, just absolutely smoked them. And the amazing thing is he's got a lot of fans, a lot of fans behind him, a great family behind him. And I think that all of the uh, competitors that are in this were looking for Jesse Wiggins to score big. He is well-liked in the field of anglers as well as in the field of fans. Jesse Wiggins, welcome. Glad to have you on the show. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me a part of it. I appreciate you having me on. No problem at all. Am I correct in saying that? Do you get that vibe that uh, that the other guys like you? Uh, yeah. I don't have any enemies. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like they like me, anyways, to my face. But now, but now they're all we're all a good group of guys. Seems like we all kind of come from the same mold, most for the most part. And but yeah, it seems like everybody. I don't have any enemies, I don't think. No, you know, and it, it's amazing. Looking at the, just, you look at the uh, Major League Fishing roster, and it's mind-blowing. I look at the top 10 for what happened at this tournament you won, Lake of the Ozarks, and the top 10, and man, oh man, do your hands shake when you look at this list and see who the heck you beat? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's what we've talked about a little bit before, you know, you can just, you can take, you know, you can take all of our names, put them in a hat, and you can draw out 10 names, and you're, the list you draw out is going to be, you know, your your mind's going to be blown, you know, the, the names on the list. But, you know, every time I back the water in, back the boat into the water, you know, you look over, you see Kevin Van Damme, Skeet Reese, Edwin Evers, Jacob Whaler, Jordan Lee, Matt Lee, you see all these guys, and you're like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, you had to beat them. 
And uh, so, that may, I mean, if you ever do get to beat them in one of these, you know, tournaments, it, it's a special, special feat. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can certainly imagine that. Well, I want to talk, I want to talk about this uh, uh, Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour event that you won. But let, let's talk a little bit more about you first. Uh, you're a young guy. You're, you're still in your early 30s, correct? Yep, 32 years old. I'm from uh, Addison, Alabama, which is right outside of Coleman, and it's about an hour of Birmingham. But yeah, I grew up fishing on Smith Lake here at home, and come to find out Smith Lake and Lake of the Ozarks look almost identical. Um, you know, boat docks, floating boat docks, dock cables, all that stuff. But yeah, grew up fishing here, and uh, that's how I got my start. And uh, you know, anytime I can fish a lake that looks like this one, you know, it's a special place. You know, most of the people in the United States are uh, geographically handicapped. You know, we think that uh, we know north-south, but don't have a real good, uh, uh, you know, real real good uh, ability to recognize the, the different things. If you're Alabama's Alabama, but when you look at this, your home lake of, of Lewis Smith Lake in, in, in northern Alabama is different than other bodies of water in Alabama. You guys are going to Gunnersville on the next stop on the tour, I believe. Those lakes are not similar, are they? No, they're not. So Alabama, you know, it, it does have the Tennessee River. That's part of the Tennessee River that runs through uh, north Alabama. But just south of there, you have several mountainous lakes, you know, high uh, – you know, this this reservoirs, you know, they go, go deep, you know, you get down to, you know, Smith goes down to 200 foot deep in places. So you have the, the very, very bottom foothills of the Appalachians that run down into Alabama. So that's why we have some of those mountainous type lakes, kind of like, you know, Lake of the Ozarks. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's south of the Tennessee River stuff, but it's, it's still north of like the plains, you know, you get down really south Alabama stuff. It's kind of a it's like a little gym that's hid there, right there in North Alabama. That you know, it's different and everything around. And 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 it is a uh, it's a it's a big enough lake. It, had, it has had many many tournaments on on Lewis Smith, right? Yeah, we've had we've had a couple of major league fishing events there, and um, uh, Bassmaster has open events there as well. So yeah, it has a lot of events. Excellent. I said I said geographically, I, you want you want Lake of the Ozarks. And I think a lot of the people, the only thing that that rings a bell with is that uh, TV show Ozark that just ended recently. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar or not, but I know I said, oh, oh Ozark, this is Lake, they're on Lake of the Ozarks. And the amazing thing is, I guess they filmed that show actually on, uh, on Lake Lanier in Georgia. They were never in Missouri at all in the first place. So if, if that's what you all think Lake of the Ozarks is, you need to do a little bit more research. Yeah, it's not. You can tell. I mean, obviously, I know just from, you know, fishing, but I watched the show like you're talking about. And, yeah, the the, the lake they shot that on looks nothing like the real lake for sure. <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't know if it, I don't know if it did uh, uh, Lake of the Ozarks any good uh, tourism-wise because I watch that show and I think people are getting shot and dealing drugs all over the dang place down there. Yeah, I know. That's what I was kind of thinking, too. I'm like, kind of get bit of the injustice. It's such an awesome place, you know. Just meeting the people around Missouri too, as well. They were so, so nice. Felt like just like I was back home, you know. And it's it's awesome to see that. Hey, you know, talk about that. You know, going on tour. 
I don't. I, I'm pretty sure that you're going to say that everybody's good to you, no matter where in the country you go, because because I have seen that so many times. But were, were you surprised to be as welcomed as you are taking the uh, fishing show on the road, so to say? Uh, no matter where you go, it, it, it's uh, you guys are welcomed and honored to be there. Absolutely. You know, it, I had it happen multiple times in in Missouri. As you know. You know, getting gas at the gas station or something, and people are just walking up, just saying, you know, how cool it is that we're there, and just so nice, like just crazy how nice. You know, not that other people are are rude or anything, but they just go out of their way to speak and say hello and just say, you know, it's cool that y'all are here and you know all that good stuff. So we love seeing that, and when we get to go places and you know seeing people, you know, like I said, it just reminded me of being back home. It's like people know me that would just come up and talk and. It was a. It's super cool to see that. Okay, going a little bit different direction here on the water. Uh, you guys get followed around a lot. Uh, you know, uh, guys that have boats that that fish a lake uh, uh, on a regular basis will often get in that boat and follow their favorite angler around and try to get a close up view of uh, of them as they're out there trying to catch fish. Uh, and, and as you win more and more. Uh, as, as you win more and more on the tour, Jesse Wiggins, you'll find you're being followed more often, but you do see that where, where fans are following you in boats, right? Yeah, we see it some. We sure do. Does it make it difficult at all, or is it occasional, or is it constant? Is it something you just learn to put up with? Um, it's not. I haven't had any problems with it. it. It hasn't bothered me any. I've heard stories of, you know, Jacob and Kevin, they have to plan their day, you know, Sometimes certain events around, you know, spectators, but it hasn't been bad around, you know, for me. And usually, you know, the locals are always super nice, most of the time anyway, so, you know, it hasn't caused any issues. No, you know, I, I think everybody gets in charge out of that, and heck, you know, uh, if, if, if some people, if you went to a baseball game, they'd want to stand right up next to the guy in the batter's box while he's taking swings. If, if they could, they don't realize what a distraction it can be, and, and I think the uh, uh, some of the key to this, and I know Kevin Van Dam is, is a master at being able to talk to the people and ask them, could you kindly get back about 10 yards, you know, or I'm, 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 I'm drifting this way, you know, can you give me some space here? And they, they just part the waters, you know, like uh, uh, like Moses parting the Red Sea, you know. Uh, uh, they, they listen to him and because uh, he's got a good style for asking, you know. Yeah, he does. They, you know, that's something they've had to deal with, you know, for years. But they do a they do a good job, and and like I said, most of the time the fans are pretty decent, and it it doesn't you know affect the outcome of the tournament. What do you do? Say you're 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 in a place you're having dinner, and obviously, you know. It can be a pain in the neck, people coming up to you while you're trying to put a bite of food in your mouth, and they're asking you questions about you know, hey. They're asking you for a fishing tip, but do you get guys coming up to you, locals coming up saying, hey, I got a spot for you, or hey, I got a lure you got to try? Because you're not supposed to listen to yeah, that. So what, what do you do? Well, we just have to, you know, our rules say we can't get any information, you know, from anybody that's not in the tournament that we're fishing yet. So, you know, you just have to kindly, you know, politely ask them to tell them that, you know, you can't get any information, you know, outside information and, you know, you just kind of have to just kind of cut them off. You know, it sounds kind of rude, but you just have to politely tell them that you can't get any information. And we're just trying to keep the, 
the you know the most even playing field for everybody out there. So you just have to you know try to be polite about it. But um, yeah, there's definitely people that you know come up and try to. I mean, they want you to they want to give you some information and get you you know get you started. But you know we just have to politely ask them not to and and, and kind of cut them off if we if they try to. It's kind of funny. Think about it. If you were allowed to sit there and listen to what they had to say, how many other guys do you think they told that same thing? You know, when you think about it, all, all of a sudden they're giving you a spot and it's just swamped with guys because they've been telling the world their their local honey hole. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to follow that kind of information anyway. Yeah, that's true too. Oh. That's, uh, that's kind of the way I thought about it if I had ever talked to any pros, but you know, they always, you know, you have locals that want to be to say that, you know, they gave Kevin Van Dam their favorite hole, and so you kind of run into that. But um, it's not, it's not too bad out there. Um, <laughs> I think that's, uh, I think that is really, really amazing. Yeah, I guess say you, you win a tournament, and some locals get take, trying to take the credit for being the guy to put you on the fish. <laughs> I can definitely see that happen. Oh man. That that is that is wild stuff. Hey, look at this. This was this was a a, a big deal for you uh, winning this uh, huge event on on Lake of the Ozarks. Um, what does it do for you mentally? Um, I would say mentally, just kind of I can it proves to myself that you know that I can win against these guys. I'd had a few close calls, you know, close calls over the years um, against this group of guys, but. You know, just to come out on top, you know, just kind of proves to myself that that I can win, and you know, it can happen, and that's kind of the main thing it does. And uh, I mean, I'm still in shock that it happened. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie, but you know, deep down, it, it kind of you thought you always thought you could win, but you know, getting it done against these guys is completely different than just thinking about it. So, but yeah, just getting it done just gives me a little bit, you know, gives me confidence that I can win, and uh, you know, that I belong out here with these guys. Yeah, so you know, uh, you, you got to think you can win. Uh, you got to go out there uh, fishing to win. You got to go out there expecting to win. But now you know it. It's not just believing it. And and now I think you've got the you've got the possibility of putting a lot more pressure on yourself, saying, "No, I've done I've done this once. Now I've got to do it again." You know, it's not just me talking tales saying I can do it. I've done it. I have to do it again. Does that make it tougher? Um, I, I don't think so personally. Like I, like, you know, like I, I think I said it on the live is like pressure is a privilege. So if you got that pressure, it's a privilege that you're there. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of it. And I definitely, you know, I, you, it's true. Once you taste it, you want more of it. That's for sure. So, but you know, that's what we do it for. I mean, that's why we're out there is to win. So, you know, knowing that I can win, it's, it's going to definitely won't make me win more, want to win more. But uh, but now I'm looking forward to getting back out there and trying to defend the title. I'm going to take a quick break, play a couple of commercials. When we come back, we're going to let uh, let our guest talk a couple of commercials. Tell us about his sponsors that keep him on the water, that helped him win this huge paycheck down at Lake of the Ozarks. We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. I'll be right back with more Jesse Wiggins after this. For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best in Category for Technical Clothing. 
built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuables safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com overboard. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth, St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Surley. I am here with my guest, Mr. Jesse Wiggins, winner of the Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour event this past week on Lake of the Ozarks. He did a great job. Uh, Every day of fishing, he just proved he could he could do it, and he could do it well. Uh, how was Mother's Day at the Wiggins house? It was awesome. You know, I got to, you know, luckily we got to be home for Mother's Day. So, uh, actually, uh, got a turkey on my on Mother's Day. So, uh, it was a uh, it was a good day, and we uh, we had a good time. Excellent, excellent. Uh, you got you got a nice looking family, and I'll tell you something. I, I I'm looking at your son River. Yeah, and I'm trying to see. I I think he kind of looks like your wife, to be honest with you. But uh, I don't know what everybody else says. He he has got the reddest hair I have ever seen, and I cannot find a picture of you without a hat on. Is your hair as red as his? No, I don't have red hair. I had you know kind of reddish hair when I was younger, and I got you know a lot of times my beard to get a lot of red in it. But uh, now his uh, his aunt is a you know complete redhead. His grandma or his great grandma so. He's got plenty of red in the family, but no, I'm not. I'm not redheaded. I can see that I, you got red in your beard. That that's for sure. You got red in your beard. I I just had no idea what what you got. Hey, you could be bald as a cue ball on top. I can't tell. You never take that head off. Yeah, I, I'm getting there. I promise you. I, but I'm not. I'm not bald completely yet. But it won't be long. No, nah, you know what? It's in style anyway. Just tell people you shaved it off. Yep. Yeah, hey, what I, get to, I get to wear a hat to work, so I'm yeah, not worried about it. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? You get paid to wear a hat to work. Yep, exactly. You, you, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. All right, let's talk about Lake of the Ozarks, and you did well. Uh, first uh, first qualifying day, you finished in seventh place. Se- uh, second qualifying day, you finished in first, and then you came back and you won the championship round, uh, and, and you won it real convincingly. Let's talk about the tournament. How much? How many days of practice did you have, and how important was practice to winning the tournament? Yeah, so we had two days of two days of practice, and uh, I hadn't never been there before. So, but I just you know looked at stuff online, so I knew the lake set up a lot like my home lake, Smith Lake. So we got there and started practice, and about halfway through the first day of practice, I started to 
to fish how I fish at home for spawning fish. And uh, I realized real quick that they were setting up exactly like they did at home. And so the first day I, I figured that out. And the second day of practice, I just started finding more areas that I could go. And then, so, but I was finding fish, like I said, on the, the dock cables. They were spawning under the dock cables, under the walkways, and uh, under the back corner of a dock, and if it would be close to the bank. But uh, that was the deal. I, they were spawning. They just wanted something kind of over their head, but, you know, obviously not a ton of shade, but just a little bit. And they were spawning in about three to five or six feet of water. And I was catching them in the mid-lake section, I guess you would say it, and around mile marker 27 or 26, I think, you know, the locals will know what I'm talking about. But um, in that area, and I was just fishing main lake pockets where the fish were moving up to spawn. And I figured that out, like I said, the second or first day of practice, second half of the day. And then, you know, the tournament started. And I had a few sight fish found, and I caught them the first day of the tournament. And then the second day of the tournament, the second qualifying day when I won, um, I just pretty much just fished all day without, you know, I just blind casted where I thought they were spawning at under those cables and walkways. And um, that's how I made the run up the leaderboard to, to finish first in the, the qualifying rounds and automatically get to advance in the championship. So the, the bite the bite stayed consistent throughout practice and into the tournament? Yes, I caught them on the exact same bait all of practice, all of the tournament, all three days of the tournament. Um it was uh, kind of crazy. You never get to really do that. You always have to change with a fish, especially eight-day events. But, you know, count practice plus six days of competition. But, you know, usually by, you know, eight days, they completely change. But it, we just had the right weather. We had the right – I mean, it was just a perfect storm for the fish to, you know – more fish to keep coming in to spawn and um you know the fish to stick around on the beds that were already there and we just had perfect weather for that for that it didn't get too hot didn't get too cold and then also we had good fishing weather like the the weather was really rainy and overcast and they just you know those highland reservoirs like that the fish bite when the weather's nasty like that. And luckily that's, you know, I could catch them without having to actually see them. And cause they just had, it was just a little bit more aggressive. And uh, that's how I was able to get it done throughout the week. Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent. Now you're talking about uh, the dock cables and, and, and things like that. That creates a, a, a big problem because uh, those bass are smart and they, they like to go and, Find those things and wrap around them and snap off. Uh, you, you use them to snap off. Was that a problem for you? Uh, 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 well, I see my home lake has those, and I'm, I mean, I'm comfortable around those dock cables. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you have to fish around them, but you just have to have confidence in your equipment. I was using, you know, I was using a bigger pound test line. I was using um, Seaguar Smackdown uh, braid, like a 30-pound test, and then a 12-pound four carbon leader uh-huh. so i mean long as i didn't just seesaw the fish on the cable you know it wasn't going to break so i would just you know i'd set the hook if i was over the cable i would just get the fish kind of just pulled up against it but not all the way against it just keep pressure on it and then i would take the trouble motor get it up you know where i could get to it and then pull the fish over the cable but it was just it's just the main thing you just have to take your time if you hook one don't get in a hurry don't try to you know try to force it over a cable until you're you can lift it over it and just don't see, don't let your line seesaw on the cable and you'll be fine. 
Well, that, that was smart fishing. I, I would bet you that there were guys out there that had a much more difficult time with that than you did. Sound like you had it figured out because uh, you're used to fishing it. Uh, what about rod and reel? What are you using? Yeah, so I, I, the, my rod was a St. Croix 7-1 medium heavy uh, spinning rod. It's the Legend Elite version of for St. Croix. Uh, that's the, what I always use a shaggy head on. And the reel was a quantum size 30 spinning reel. And I told you the line, and then the bait I was using, I was just using a homemade shaky head, eight ounce, and then I had a three sixteenths rigged up as well on the same setup. And then I would use the three sixteenths around just a little bit deeper stretches of docks I had. Like some to some places, I'd have seven or eight docks that were pretty deep, and then it would be, then it would get shallow, and I'd use the eight ounce. And then if the dock cables are really low to the water, and I could skip under them, I'd use that eight ounce because it skips so much better. And uh, I was using, on the worm, I just used a jackal flick shake, uh, green pumpkin candy worm, and it just seemed like it was getting toted off by fish all week, so I stuck with that. Yeah, interesting, interesting spots or lineup. Uh, you know, uh, I'm very familiar with the with the jackal plastics. I like, I like them quite a bit. You don't hear them as much as you might hear others, so that is interesting to see. But I've got to go with... Uh, I'm blown away uh, by your rod sponsor, St. Croix. St. Croix has been uh, our sponsor here at uh, We Fish ASA since day one. Uh, every week, the first segment that we do is with Dan Johnston, who is uh, the sales manager of uh, of St. Croix, and he does a, a really great segment for us every week. We're huge fans, but I'm not used to hearing a professional bass tournament winner come out and say he's using St. Croix. I am so pleased that you are a St. Croix guy. How did that relationship happen? So they have a uh, a store. They have There's a store down in, in Georgia, uh, the Dugout Bait and Tackle. And Randy, Mr. Randy Hamilton, he is a distributor for St. Croix for that region. And he, uh, I, got, I got in touch with him. And then he, you know, of course, got in touch with the main people, Jesse Simpkins and Dan Johnson, all them at St. Croix. And uh, they just, in my rookie year, I, I got on with them, and I've been with them ever since. Now it started in 2017. And uh, you spoke about Dan Johnson. He's He knows more about fishing rods than I think any person in the United States seems like to me. Lordy <laughs> Murphy, that guy is so knowledgeable. Like, I love watching his, his videos because he knows so much about it. And, you know, he's such a good, like, presenter of that stuff and you know giving you know normal guys like me that information and you know me remembering stuff so i love i love hearing dad speak that's awesome but yeah that's how that got started and there's actually a few a couple of us guys that's out there now you know that that are sponsored by st croix they're definitely you know in the bass game and uh here to stay and they make some some of the best fishing rods you know that you'll ever use and it's just high quality stuff and you know I, I love being part of the St. Croix family. There's no doubt. I, I just saw I just saw Danny and uh, Jesse down at the Redcrest, and, and I was like, hey, I thought it was a very, very bold move of your company going out and uh, becoming a major spa, major title sponsor of the uh, Bass Opens this year, you know? I said, now what, now what you got to do is get one of your guys to win a win a major event, you know, that'll, that'll put you over the top. Well, what'll it take, about 30 days uh, for that to come true? So 
I imagine that they're they're pretty gosh darn happy about you, and, and I know I am, and I think it, it it's wonderful and, and great equipment. And it's nice to see that that really worked out for you. Hey, you know, I'm looking, you're fishing one-eighth ounce shaky heads. Uh, you're, you're an Alabama guy, and, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I remember Iconelli was the first guy I heard talk about shaky heads, and here's a northern guy, and he's, he's a finesse guy, and... Uh, just didn't expect to see a Southern guy come out and kick butt on a very, very lightweight, shaky head presentation. You have been doing this for a long time. Oh, I've been, you know, that shaky head deal started, I think it, it started, he, I can only learned it from the guys that I've learned it from. You know, Craig Daniel was one of the first one. He fished professionally back in the 90s, and he taught a lot of the guys that are still fishing, you know, about that bait. And he, he, that's who I learned it from. My dad learned it from him. And then my dad showed us. And like I said, we've been using it, you know, 30 years now. So it's, uh, it's, it's not a secret bait, you know, of course, but it's a, it's a fish catcher. You know, it's, I think my dad started us using it because it's just the jig head and a hook. And, you know, you just rig the bait up on there and you start fishing. So I think it was less maintenance for him. And uh, he got to fish more so because it was so easy to rig. So we we started rigging our own, and uh, you know then we started making our own because we you know we wanted to have the perfect setup for it. And uh, but yeah, it's we've been using that bait you know for like I said since I started fishing. I can't remember not using it. So it's a uh, it's a special bait. Though, that's for sure. It'll catch some fish. I, I am so pleased to have you on. I think it's great to have a, a young Alabaman on who is using a spinning. Uh, spinning rod and reel setup to throw, uh, you know, jackal baits uh, using a St. Croix rod, uh, finesse fishing. You're definitely fishing way outside the box, and it shows me how how much uh, you are flexible in what you do. And, and you know, I think if people listen to this, they realize you got to learn to do different things. you got to go out there and try different things. It's not one thing that works all the time, you know. Everybody should be more like Jesse Wiggins when you hit the water. Then you'll have success like Jesse Wiggins. Man, I, I just hope that you uh, you win a couple more this year. And, hey, you got a good shot at Angler of the Year. I think you're in fourth place right now, and I don't see any reason why that's not going to happen for you. Hey, that, be, that sounds good to me. The only problem is Jacob Wheeler, he don't miss the top ten, and I've already missed the top ten this year. So we're gonna, he's going to have to stumble a little bit, but uh, – that's definitely the goal, no doubt. Well, so you know what? Jesse Wiggins, you are something else. Thanks for being with us. Think you're great. Really appreciate your being on the show. Best of luck, my friend, and go get them. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. Jesse Wiggins. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Stan Johnston from St. Croix. Mike Leonard from the American Sport Fishing Association. Keep up the good work, Michael. And my new friend, Jesse Wiggins, St. Croix Pro, who just won a huge event down at Lake of the Ozarks. It was an event put on by Major League Fishing on their Bass Pro Tour. Good work, Jesse. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa, we got your bass covered. We sure do. Daiwa Reels. Hey, remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you can get your podcasts at. Don't forget to check out our website, wefishasa.com. I'm Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing.
I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.